With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Atlanta Film Chat, episode 77. Give me two minutes. I'll get you right to the episode. This week we have Michael H. Harper. He's a screenwriter here in Atlanta, as well as a director and producer. His film Attack of the Morningside Monster can be seen on Amazon currently. And also his documentary Three Minute Activists colon the soul of slam is due to hit virtual shelves very soon we talk about these projects and his big decisive moment to focus on screenwriting as a career rather than letting it become a fun hobby if you want to look him up on imdb make sure you look for michael h harper otherwise he will not come up and there's a bunch of confusion about that some quick announcements before we get started film bar monday tonight october 26th is at mac mcgee's and then next week november 2nd is at the end independent. I had a great time at Get Scene's Monstar Mash event last Monday. If you want to be like Get Scene Studios and sponsor the show to promote your event or your local business, you should email me at atlfilmchat at gmail.com. You can also support the cast by buying Attack of the Morningside Monster on Amazon as well as a bunch of other stuff that you were probably already going to get, right? If you go to cinemaatlmagazine.com where you can find all our old episodes, you can Click on the affiliate link in the story about this episode and shop around. We get a percentage of sales and keep the lights on. If you enjoyed our spinoff podcast episode, The Pitch, we have another one in store we recorded yesterday. It's called The Roundtable and it focuses on different aspects of filmmaking, acting, writing, directing, producing. We get a bunch of people in a room and they talk about their specific field. For instance, in the first episode, we have a bunch of actors talking about acting. That comes out next week, so best thing for you to do is go to iTunes and or Stitcher and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. All right, that's it for announcements, so here is Michael H. Harper. So I realized earlier that this episode is going to go up a few days before my birthday, um, also a few days before Halloween. So I hope that this isn't too weird, but I thought we'd start off talking about some spooky movies for a second. Are you a huge fan of spooky movies? <laughs> I am a huge fan of spooky movies, yes. Molly was uh, just telling me about Crimson Peak. Yeah. Um, I don't get to go to the, the movie theater much anymore, so I vicariously through her, she was <laughs> telling me, like, oh, you know, it was more of a gothic 
uh, Ghost Story. Yes. Which sounded really That's cool. why a lot of people are not happy with this. It's not a horror movie. But you did, you did enjoy it. I loved it. I mean, but, you know, it's brilliant production design with the house. And the house was completely practical. Um, so, like, the elevator worked, you know, like, all this really, really, really cool stuff about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a brilliant-looking film. And the romance stuff didn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming around to sappy shit. Oh, I'm getting older. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is the, the biological clock is ticking. I think it's more that I've just been crying over Star Wars stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, yeah, and it's Del Toro. Mm-hmm. He can do no wrong, in my opinion, um, Pacific Rim notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I've heard that it. it's, it's gorgeous. It, looks, it just looks fantastic. Yeah. So, so what? What uh, if you're a, if you are a big fan of spooky movies? Mm-hmm. What what is your favorite? Not genre of spooky movies, but subgenre of spooky movies. I am a huge werewolf film, just fanatic. Yeah? Anyth- anything okay. with a werewolf in it, I and I'm there. Um, you know, I I remember clearly. Um, I was about ten years old, and my dad rented an American werewolf in London. Ah, yeah, yeah. And was like, hey, let's watch this movie. You like werewolves? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. And I ran screaming from the room during the transformation <laughs> scene. Um, and ever since then, it's like, yeah, anything with a werewolf in it, and I'm I'm there. So I like creature features, but um, yeah, specifically werewolf movies. Yeah, American Werewolf has, I mean, that's one of the most well-known uh, transformation scenes where just it's super gross and yeah. painful. Uh, painful, like that's supposed yeah, to. Be, it hurts to watch. It's supposed to be painful. Right. Transformation. That was always amazing. Monster Squad. I love I Monster, Monster Squad. Squad. I, I showed that to my daughter uh, a couple months ago because we always have like a, a movie day or whatever, and just, I, you just don't understand. I mean, because yeah. I, I saw this when I was eight. Right. You know, and I was. Well, just, what did she think about Monster Squad? Oh, she liked it. Yeah. Yeah. She, I don't know if she freaked out about it as much as I did when I was. Yeah, she age. really likes all the Monster High stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah, well, she did. She's getting kind of outgrown those now, but, but yeah, she, yeah, she was into the Monster High stuff. So she kind of knew sort of the monsters right. from that. And Shane Black. Shane Black mm-hmm. co-wrote that script. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Oh my yeah. God. He, he's awesome. <laughs> Iron Man 3, notwithstanding, but, um, <laughs> I have a lot of qualifications on the people mm-hmm. I like in this industry. So, but so, yeah, anything with a werewolf movie. But if you if you guys want to see a spooky movie, um, Attack of the Morning Side Monster that I produced came out last year. Oh man, that was and a good transition. Yeah, see, <laughs> I'm a producer. I do that. Um, and it's a great. It's it's it. We got some bumps from the traditional horror community because it's more of a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But we've got some nice gore in there too. So uh, and Nicholas Brendan and Tiffany Shepes and yeah, Rob Prolgo. Um, love I love Rob. If I could make every movie, every movie I ever make, I want to have a role for Rob Prolgo because he is phenomenal. We've made two movies together, and he is the hardest working Atlanta actor there is. In yeah. my opinion, oh my god, he's just just to watch him work is a, it's a treat. And as a writer, when you work with Rob, it's, it's just incredible. He, he taught me so much as a writer just to watch him as an actor. Oh yeah. In rehearsal. Cause he would go, I don't need to say this line. And I'll go, no, it's pretty important for you to say that. No, I don't need to say that. Watch. <laughs> and he would do a facial expression and I would go, yeah, we don't need that line. Oh, so okay. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. He's just incredible. 
So he he's not you're not saying he's like Edward Norton to take over the film kind of thing, but he's just no no he's <laughs> he's very much hey I've got an idea, and then if the idea is better than the idea I had, mm-hmm. I go that's a great idea Rob let's do it that way, and then I take complete credit for it. Oh right? yeah 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 you um, have to. And if it's <laughs> if it's not an idea you know if it's not in line with the vision that I had or whatever when I was directing him I would go yeah we'll do one like that. <laughs> And, they know what that means. Yeah. You know, um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes, and, and sometimes you would do it, I would do it, and it was even better than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, so there's, the, that's the good thing about this medium is collaboration when you have good yeah. collaborative people. Well, having really good actors means you have a whole bunch of free writers that you don't have to give any credit to. Which that's is awesome. right. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Now, Rob, I, I, he's just so good because he, even though one, he's one of the leading people as far as like SAG here in Atlanta and making sure that SAG people are taken care of and are getting what, what they need from production. So that's awesome that he's an advocate in that way. But he also is, you know, he, he is an advocate also for like the little independents that can't have SAG actors and he's the one that's always trying to even like hey well you know there's new media and like trying to educate people as to what their options are as opposed to trying to like suck every dime of money oh yeah out of them. yeah I mean the first movie we made together was uh, a short film that I, I wrote and directed called take me out and um we met and I was like, Oh wow, I love you. I love you. I think this is great. I would love to have you. And you know, I don't have any money. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I like the script. I want to do it. Let's do it. And he brought on other SAG actors and you know, he, he's just a trooper. He's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And so our Halloween spooky movie discussion turned into a Rob Prolgo love fest. Yeah. yeah well. So. But everything should turn into a Rob Prolgo love fest. <laughs> I met Rob Prolgo in a, Freezing church in Chicago. Well, actually, in Gary, Indiana. Altered. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> that was funny. Him and Keith Brooks, I both met them for the first time in Gary, Indiana. Like, it's like I had to go all the way up here to to meet awesome Atlanta actors, yep. <laughs> evidently. What's funny about that shoot specifically was, until that shoot, Take Me Out was the coldest Rob Prago had ever been <laughs> on set. <laughs> And he would tell that story about how cold it was because we were shooting outside. It was November. It was freezing. Um, and then Altered came mm-hmm. along. And so I was, I was kind of sad, but kind of happy to <laughs> no longer be the director who tortured Rob Prolgo through the cold, yep. uh, worse than anyone else. That's, that's now Kelly's job. Thanks, Kelly McClung. Yep. <laughs> so what, what is the premise of Morningside Monster? Attack of the Morningside Monster is uh, set in a small town. We shot it in Lawrenceville. And shout out to Lawrenceville. They were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, very easy to work with. Um, but it's set in a small town, and some uh, disturbingly mutilated bodies start to show up. And so there's a killer on the loose, and it really turns into a thriller whodunit. Um, but what really sets us apart in my opinion, is you really care about the characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, there is a real, um, real relationship, several real relationships between our, our main cast. Um, Amber Chaney plays, uh, Nicholas Brendan's wife 
in the film and Kat Tabor is Rob Pralgo's girlfriend in the film. And the, we have a, a scene in the middle of the movie that's the four of them sitting around a dinner, uh, sitting around a dinner table. Ju- and the first cut of that scene was seven minutes long mm-hmm. because it was just, it was so good. It was just like, I just want to sit there and watch that. So of course we didn't leave the seven minute version in the film because <laughs> it would have been a screeching halt. But, um, man, it was fun. It was fun. So who done it? Um, some gore. Some some really good special effects um, by local Atlanta peeps, and you know it was filmed entirely in Georgia. We went as far south as Macon, hmm. and as far north as Athens, and um, you know most of it was in Lawrenceville. So, um, so as someone who has directed stuff that you've written, like that film had Chris Etheridge as the director. Yeah, was has. He directed other of your stuff, or was it weird having somebody else direct your well, I words? Didn't, I didn't even write uh, okay. Attack of the Morningside Monster. Gotcha. Jason Palmer wrote um, Attack of the Morningside Monster, and I was actually brought in later mm-hmm. um, because Jay and Chris had worked together on an adaptation of Stephen King's Survivor Type, hmm. which is my favorite Stephen King short story of all time. And um, we actually, actually, I met Chris while I was doing Take Me Out. Um, we realized, I think he found us through our Indiegogo page and he knew that I was going to throw in some Stephen King homages and he's a Stephen King nerd like I am, like Jason is. And <laughs> so the three of us, um, you know, Chris came on board as a co-executive producer for Take Me Out. And then he and Jay were already in pre-production on Survivor Type while I was in post-production on Take Me Out. Um, so they, they did a phenomenal short. Um, through the, through Stephen King's Dollar Baby program. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, just a great short. And is that the one that ends with him on the beach? Uh huh. Okay, okay, okay. I've seen yep. it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, and it's a difficult, I mean, it's my favorite Stephen King short story ever, but man, that was, that was a difficult one to mm-hmm. choose for them. Um, and so they made, they made Survivor type, um, Chris asked me over to, to look at Survivor Type, and I gave him some notes on it, and that really kind of be- began our friendship. Um, and then the three of us, Stephen King was in town, and the three of us spent the night in a Walmart parking lot to get <laughs> tickets to see Stephen King. Um, and that really cemented our, our friendship. Sure. Um, so Jay and Chris were working on, on Morningside in, they were in development on Morningside and Chris asked me to come on board and just give some notes on the script. So I did and he and Jason were happy with the notes that I gave. Um, and they invited me to be a producer on the film. And then once I said, yeah, I would love to help produce this film. They roped me into being the first AD <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it was which is the most beloved person on set. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had I had experience <laughs> doing first AD work. I had, I had done a lot of AD work um, for blank stage productions. I started there, and then I worked with David and Kelly Silverman at Cake Baby Productions. I was their first AD, their go to first AD for all of their short films. Um, and uh, somehow, I don't know how, people hate me in Atlanta, I guess, it got around that, hey, Michael Harper does AD work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went down to Savannah and was the second AD on a, on a feature down there with James Kicklider. Um, oh, Desires yeah. of the Heart. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then 
literally left that set and came into pre-production for Morningside. And we shot, we went immediately into production and we shot November, it was right after Thanksgiving through the first week of December, um, 2012. Yeah. Hmm. And then we shot and that we got a big, it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Big chunk of our stuff done then. Um, all of the, all of the actors we flew in from LA did all of their stuff. And then, um, we, we waited for our tax rebate to come back. Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yay. Shooting in Georgia. Right. And, um, then we started shooting bits and pieces weekends. We had another full week at one point. Um, and we shot that through the first few months of 2013. And then it came out. October 20th, 2014 on VOD and iTunes and all that good stuff. And then it hit DVD January of this year. Awesome. Nice. So, yeah. So, yeah, what, uh, how, how did you go about getting Nicholas Brendan and Tiffany Sheppis and stuff? Is it just a matter of calling up their agents and saying, Hey, we have this, or do you, you have to get them excited about it and say, Hey, and we, we were, we're, you know, broke as a joke, but this, <laughs> this script is amazing and we're going to do all this good stuff. Well, Tiffany came through a friend of a friend. Okay. Um, and, you know, we had a Rob Prolgo love fest. Let me do a Tiffany Shepis love fest for a minute, too. She is exquisite to work with. She is fun. She is the morale on set. She, we were, I think we were her 98th low budget film. <laughs> when, yeah, she does a lot. Yeah. And, um, and we were a very different film for her. You know, she got started in stuff like Tromeo and Juliet and mm-hmm. kind of went down the bad girl path. Right. And so there was a lot of skimpy outfits and that kind of stuff. She's usually yeah. buck ass naked, covered in blood, running after people trying to murder them and that kind of stuff. And in our film, she's the deputy sheriff. Mm-hmm. And so she was wearing a police uniform in every shot that we, mm-hmm. we, and so it was very different for her. And she was also a little bit pregnant. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, spoiler alert. She had a stunt, a slight stunt in the film. I won't tell you what kind it was, but I had the honor of being the guy who caught her as she <laughs> fell. Because, and she gave me a look. She looked at me and she goes, don't you fucking drop me. <laughs> and I went, I will not, I promise. Um, but, you know, she came, She uh, we got her through a friend of a friend. And once she was attached, uh, there was a long time where we thought that Rob and Tiffany were going to be our, our leads. Mm-hmm. And um, we had someone uh, attached to play Mark, uh, Nikki's role, in the film and schedule shifted. And so that, that role was open. And at that point we had the producer sat down and kind of went, okay, now we've got an opportunity. Mm-hmm. We can put it out to casting directors and we can see who's interested. And so we thought, all right, we'll do that. We don't necessarily have to hire anybody, the big name or anything. Right. 
Um, but we put it out through the casting director and, and got a lot of response. Um, people were excited to be a part of it. And Nikki was just, he was the best balance of name recognition. He was just right for the part. He's just, he's just the guy that we needed. Um, and you know, we, we actually bumped our budget a little bit in order to be able to pay for, for Nikki. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that was, that was a tough decision because we were like, okay, we know what the budget is. We know what the budget is probably going to be while, when we finish, because the budget you start mm-hmm. with is not necessarily yeah. the budget you finish with, yeah. especially in the independent world. Um, and so we thought, okay, how much is, is Nick going to cost? And, and can we really do it? And so we made the decision. We, we dug a little deeper and, uh, and we found <laughs> the money for him. And, you know, he came out and, and just, did a great job for us. So how how much of a difference do you think having a name in the end did for you guys as far as attention for the film? Do you think it mattered? Yes. Yes. So that was worth it. The the yeah. The the quick answer to that is yes. <laughs> um now there's a lot of things that I I love about being a producer and there's a lot of things that I hate about being a producer. It's a difficult discussion to have. When you're like, okay, here are the three top actors that would really do a really great job in this role. And now I have to go to fucking Twitter and see how many followers they have. Yeah. Yeah. Or, okay, how big is their Facebook presence? Mm -hmm. What's their social media footprint? Are these people being talked about? Mm -hmm. Especially when you want to support Atlanta actors as much as possible. So that's also a hard decision because it's like... We want to give them just as many opportunities as right. other people, but at the end of the day, yeah, it comes down to is this person going to get us 15 articles written about us and right. are we going to fall under the radar with this person? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, um, you asked about me working with Chris Etheridge. He and I are co-developing a, a science fiction thriller right now um, for me to write and for him to direct. Um and we'll both produce it. And we have a name lead actress in mind. Mm-hmm. And we are tailoring the script for her. Mm-hmm. And she is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, we have to surround her with three more names. Because she, even though she's a name that if I said it right now, you you guys would totally recognize it and go, mm-hmm. oh. Right. <laughs> She's not a, enough. I'm doing right. air quotes. I know sure. you can't see that on the podcast, but yeah. I'm doing air quotes. She's not enough to sell mm-hmm. the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was that had to be part of our discussion mm-hmm. when we were looking at who was going to be the, who was going to play that role. Yeah, yeah. I'll be. I mean, I'll be honest. When I'm trying to get promotion for the whatever podcast, and if it's a if it's a, a project or something, I'll go and look through all the, the actors that were in it or somebody, and I, I can only spend so much time doing it, so I'll just be like, hey, why don't you retweet this? And if, if they have a lot of followers, then I'll do it, you know? It's, right. it's usually the bigger people. Yeah. <laughs> Not, and sometimes it works, you know, and sometimes... Uh, well, I remember when we were um, when we were about... Well, I guess we had just got done making Congratulations, and... Uh, People kept asking, the, the first conversation everybody would ask, uh, 
Alex and Tony would be, how did you guys get Jack McGee? And Alex's answer always was, we were willing to pay his day rate. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, you know, it's, it's, it is an investment in the film, just like production design, mm-hmm. just like, you know, good sound, just like the right camera, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, I hate to, I hate to sound like a producer that's, uh, reducing real people, hardworking actors to commodities. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's, that's sort of the way you have to look at it, at least through a certain lens at a certain time in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You always want to get the best person for the job. And what's the real criteria for best person for the job? Right. Part of it is, are they going to help me sell this movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you don't approach it that way and nobody sees the film, you've kind of wasted everybody else's time. Right. Um, so it's, I mean, yeah, it's a hard decision, but you got to think of stuff like that. And then, and then it, if you have one big name that helps sell the thing, everybody else in the film gets seen. So if you have smaller actors or, you know, local Atlanta actors you want to help out and they do a great job, somebody's going to, somebody's going to notice. Like, right. oh, you know, policeman number three did that line really well hey, or whatever. In the Magnificent Seven movie, Mark Ashworth was supposed to have two days and he ended up going out there and being in the entire film. Yeah. yeah. See? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's got to, you just got to do a great job and, and, and not be a dick and then. Right. <laughs> or 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 be a dick, but in the right way that you you seem really important, right? Yeah, and then and then you can pull it off, I guess. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, when we were on on set for that film, um, you know, and, and as a first AD, I say, you know, sometimes you have to rally the troops, and sometimes uh, people are just a little too precious mm-hmm. with what they're doing, and so I would go through and I would go, okay. We're not creating film. We're making a movie. There's a difference there. Okay. This is, this has moved from the possibility of art project into the sun is moving across the sky and we need to get, right. We need to get the shot. So let's move, you know, at the end, if you don't finish, there's not some budget where you can be like, okay, we're going to add 10 shooting days onto the back end of this. Right. Not an option. Yeah. I look forward to hopefully getting to that level at some point. But, uh, but no, on, on an independent film, no. It's down and dirty and quick. It's gotta be. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about your documentary. That was a phenomenal segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, um, my documentary, Three Minute Activist, The Soul of Slam, was actually filmed, um, during the production break. That we had on Attack of the Morningside Monster. Not really. Yeah. Okay. So um, we finished shooting our our principal cast and stuff uh, the first week of December 2012, and um, Lee Walker, who is one of the producers on the documentary, called me a couple of days after that and said, "Hey, I've got a movie idea." And I went, "Well, I'm kind of in the mo- in the middle of one." Um, he said, well, this needs to be filmed in February. And I was like, wait, this February? And he was like, yes. <laughs> and I said, so you want to mount a production in six weeks, basically. And he went, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Um, so we shot Three Minute Activist, The Soul of Slam, in one day. Um, Are you for real? I am for real. <laughs> it is... Um, it's it's a concert movie in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's set 
at uh, the Roswell Slamming in the Suburbs Slam mm-hmm. Poetry event. Um, and we, we filmed the ninth annual in February of 2013. And we got there at four o'clock and my crew set up our five cameras and we sat six of the leading, uh, slam poets in the nation around a dinner table and we fed them and we filmed them while they ate and talked and we intercut that footage uh, with interviews with each of them and then performances from the night. So it's a concert film, but it, it really focuses on the history of these particular poets and slam poetry in general. So how much going in did you guys know about the six people that it focuses on? Well, I I did my research. Yeah. I really, really did my research. Because that is a gamble, man. Yes, it is. <laughs> I have to give a huge shout-out at this point to M. Ayadeli Heath. He's the uh, master of ceremonies in the film, mm-hmm. and he was our our gatekeeper into the performance poetry world. Um I knew about this much about performance poetry. I have my fingers really <laughs> close together um, before this film. And so we got hooked up with, with IO and um, he said, okay, these are the six poets that I think are worthy of being focused on. And I, and I know I can get them there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he guaranteed me, he looked at me in the eye and he said, and one of them will win this <laughs> slam on this night. And I went, excellent. There's my story. Right. <laughs> we'll just follow and we'll follow these six people and we'll go, oh, who's going to win? Who's going to win? And then at the end, we will reveal the winner. Well, none of them won. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, a, a young man <laughs> named um, Oak Morse walked in off the street and registered for the slam that night and dominated, just completely dominated. He was awesome. He's so awesome that he dictated to me how I would cut his poems because of the way, not in the editing room, he wasn't even there, but just the way he interacted with Mm -hmm. the audience, that's where you cut. That's where you cut. He was just on fire. Um, and so it was midnight, the end of the, end of the shoot. And I was like, I don't have any footage of the guy who actually won the thing. So we, uh, we set up really quick in the corner and, and had asked him a few questions and that kind of stuff. Um, but at that point, the kind of the focus of the entire film had to shift because he wasn't at the table. Um, so it became more of a, Hey, this is what slam can mean. And it really, it really became more about the activism of performance poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think it was a stronger film in the end? I think it was a different film in the yeah. end. Um, I will say this. I have seen this film 3000 times in bits and pieces and all together. And we just, I just got, um, our proof copy of our DVD because we drop on DVD, uh, November 3rd. And I put the thing in my DVD player, and I was like, I'm not going to watch the whole thing. I'm just going to spot check it. And and I ended up watching the whole thing. (laughs) And there were times where I I still, even though I've memorized every word of these poems, 
I still get goosebumps mm-hmm. at some of them. And um, the energy in this film, I'm very happy with, very proud of. And I don't have, I can't take any credit for it because all I did was hire camera operators who I knew could keep stuff in focus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I said, just pointed at the stage and the poets did all the work and they're phenomenal. Um, but you know, I think it says something if I'm still getting goosebumps. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After watching it 3,000 times or whatever it's been. (laughs) I mean, I've heard that over and over, that you start out, documentaries start out as one thing, and then you might as well just let it go because it never ends up being what you immediately right. or you initially thought of. Right. Um, there's always going to be some sort of hurdle or something that just makes you shift left or right in some way. Yep. Yeah. That, that's one of the things you got to be able to, to think on your feet and, and not get too attached. You got to be able to throw things away and yeah. you know, let's start all over again. Well, you skipped the the first problem with documentary is that you cut how much footage you had to go through <laughs> by a lot by having one day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. But we had five cameras rolling for yeah, eight hours. That's still a lot so, of footage. Yes. So, you know, it was like, okay, what do I do? And um, I had, I knew what I wanted. Um, so I wrote up an outline and then I handed it to my editors and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you guys get to <laughs> do all of the, the <laughs> logging and putting everything together. And, um, and they did a great job. They did a great job. Um, I worked with, uh, Larisha Jones to begin with. I know law. I love her. I, I would adopt her. She was someone who we obtained through Altered. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's local to Chicago. Yep. And we brought her back. Not anymore. I know. Not anymore. She actually lives right around the the corner from my house. (laughs) Um, So she would come over to my house, and we we cut a lot of the poems um, together. And um, then I had Chance White. Who we know. Well. Um, Chance White did the, the bulk of the work putting everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jared Young. Who I know. Came on board. <laughs> yeah. See, I told you, we, all, know. we yeah. know all the same people. <laughs> Jared Young came on board um, because Gabrielle Pickle. Who uh, we also know. Right. Had just started working <laughs> with Brothers Young. Well, I knew Brothers Young back before they were Brothers Young. Well, not really, but a uh, hundred years ago. And so Jared came on board and became our story editor. And, used the basic outline that I gave him and he crafted the first cut. Mm-hmm. And then we went in together and started going, no, let's not do that. Let's move this over here. Uh, maybe one more poem, maybe not that poem, maybe one less poem. And so it took forever, but sure. we, we did that. And then um Basically, all of pre-production was done, or all of post-production was done, and then the Brothers Young people went off and did their next thing. Well, I went back and looked, and all of post-production wasn't done. So I hired uh, Mike Chase, 
to come on board as a, as my final editor. And we massaged kind of the rough spots and that sure. kind of stuff. So, but having an extra set of eyes is good. Oh, always. I yeah. look, I love cutting stuff and no, <laughs> I need, I need an extra set of eyes. Um, just because it, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, and even if, even if the extra set of eyes goes, you know what? I don't like that. I don't mm-hmm. care if you don't like it. It's if, if I'm directing, it's my vision. Sure. And, it's always nice to have somebody in the room go, you sure you want to do that? Because it makes me think, okay, mm-hmm. am I sure that I want to do this? But um, yeah, one, one issue uh, I always have with, you said, performance uh, documentaries is, I mean, I screen for the Atlanta Film Festival, so they get mm-hmm. a lot of those, that they tend to focus more on, like, say, the, the, the performance of the artist or something. Like, well, let's, let's highlight this, uh, this jazz singer or something. Well, he's been... Way too much time just showing them on stage. Like, okay, if if we're trying, if I'm watching this and I don't know who they are, sure, it's nice that you have to hear them sing or whatever. Right. But then after a while, like, okay, okay, it's it's been like ten minutes. I get the idea. Let's move on. Right. How do you how do you how do you uh, I don't juggle that um, between showing the poems and then talking at the table and stuff like that. How did you handle that? Uh, well, we were very lucky. In in this particular slam that we filmed, there were four rounds, and each round had a time limit. So the first round was a one-minute poem. Mm-hmm. Oh. Second round was a two-minute poem. The third round was a three-minute poem. The fourth round was a four-minute poem. So the longest a poem was going to be was four minutes. Nice, okay. And um, they're very entertaining, the, the performance poets. The poets are incredible. And they're easy to watch. And there were times where I was like, whoa, is that really four minutes? Are you really? Okay. I guess it is. Um, and we were also very lucky because most of the poems are topical, mm-hmm. you know, very political, very socially aware, very topical. As they were talking around the, the table, um, it, it was almost like magic. Somebody would say something and it would be like, Oh, look, that's a perfect segue. Let's cut to a poem. <laughs> um, and so we would, and then we would come back and there are a couple of rough spots, uh, in my opinion, I'm not going to point them out to anybody, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, so it, it kind of flowed. It really flows more like a conversation okay. in my mind. Um, because yeah, it could get, it could get tedious one poet for 10 minutes or whatever like it doesn't make any difference how many cameras you've got at that point Mm -hmm. because there's only so many ways you can cut that thing (laughs) right yeah so yeah yeah it starts to i don't know i've seen so many of them they just sound it seems like they're just filler you know like oh well we only had you know 50 minutes and we want to make an hour so we'll just you know keep adding time it's like god if i don't know who this person is i don't care right you know after well and (laughs) one of the things we've got six different poets and those are just the ones around the table. And then we've got three, five other poets that we intersperse different um, poems from throughout. So we have 11 poets. And um, most of them get two. There's a couple that get one. But um, so they kind of become familiar, but they're not around long enough to where you kind of get tired of them. Mm-hmm. And nice. and like I said, their performances are so just tight and, and just so professional and just really engaging. Um, you know, the, the atmosphere in the room that night was incredible. Um, there've been two other Roswell slams after 
the one that we filmed for this. And I've been to one of them. I'm not going to say which one, but I went to one of them and there was new, there were new people there. There were some of the same old faces there and stuff, but the energy in the room just wasn't the same. You just happened to be there on the right night. We got so lucky. <laughs> so lucky. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. And you've got, you've got a, a great poster here. Um, thank you. I, I worked with, um, our, our graphic designer, Ryan Walker to, uh, help kind of craft the visual look for the film. Um, as far as the logo and, and poster work and that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, we, um, we got, we got very lucky, very lucky. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad to say, I'm happy to say that I've actually become friends with some of these mm-hmm. poets since we made this film. And, you know, they're just, they're phenomenal people. Um, but man, they get on that stage and it's, it's like a, a switch flips mm-hmm. and they, they just come alive. So. I used to go to some of the readings and stuff over at Java Wonky. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, years and years ago. Um, I got up once and I read this stupid little poem thing I did and I was like, this is, well, I'm really bad at this. But I'm not <laughs> Everybody clapped. So I felt like, oh, okay. Right. I survived. So. Right. Well, you know, I'm a writer. I'm a screenwriter. I make money. That's how I, that's how I pay my bills when yeah. I can pay my bills. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's a very specific set of muscles. Mm-hmm. And, and so some people were like, Oh, you're going to write a poem. Oh, you're going to do a poem. Oh, you're going to write a poem. No, 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 no. I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm good. This is, they are so good at what they do that for me to get up there and pretend just it's disrespectful. Yeah. So, you know, we even, I mean, Molly and I, we wrote a uh, feature, and there's some slam poetry in it. There is, and, but it's it's well, not I, supposed to be good. It's it's yeah. funny. But I, I mean, it's I, like so. I married an ex murderer slam poetry. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay, I mean, I, I tried to even do the silly stuff, and Molly was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" <laughs> it's just not something. That isn't what I said. I just said, may, I said, I said, maybe I'll do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is basically saying, "What the fuck is this shit?" Exactly. Well, but it's important. It's not something I was telling. I was yeah. telling Tori, her sister. I was like. That's not, that's just not in my wheelhouse. That's right. not something I know dialogue. I can do structure. I could not do what the hell this is. This is right. just not what I can do. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, and they're like, people are like, Oh, it's writing. No, it's not all the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's right. Different. Exactly. Well, we start, we start the film with a, a quote from Maya Angelou and, it, and it's, uh, words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with shades of deeper meaning. And that is so true with these poets because it's one thing to read the words on a page. Right. Yeah. Or yeah, it's yeah. one thing to have somebody who didn't write them and doesn't feel them read them out loud. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's these poems are part of these people. Right. And um it's it's mesmerizing to watch in my opinion. Well it's like you know, this the singer songwriter type where it's like you have that person there's just such a difference between that person that's on a stage performing a song that they wrote. Versus someone who paid someone to write a song and now they're performing a song that was written for them to sing. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just such a difference. That emotional connection means everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, most of my crew, myself included, we didn't have 
much information as far as performance poetry was concerned before we started this, mm-hmm. this project. And I, you know, like I said, I did a lot of research. I, I looked up all the poets that, that were, we knew were going to be there, watched a lot of YouTube videos, um, checked out their websites, saw them perform live when I could. Um, and so I kind of had an idea. Um, but there were times, I mean, I shed tears while, while we were filming this thing. And there were times I looked around at my camera ops and, you know, you can always tell when somebody's just trying to keep the camera in focus. And when somebody's like, holy crap, looks, look what's going on on the other side of my lens. And everybody was completely mesmerized, um, while we were filming. So, you know, I think we captured maybe a quarter, maybe 25% of the energy that was in the room that night. But, mm-hmm. But I think we did what we could, um, and you know I'm proud of it. So do you do you enjoy uh, that process more, making documentaries and and organizing things, or or screenwriting more, or is is it all just kind of the same? That's a good fun question. Um, fun, fun town. Um, <laughs> I well, I never thought in my wildest dreams, I never thought I would make a documentary. I do not consider myself a documentary filmmaker. I consider myself a filmmaker who made a documentary. Okay, yeah. I don't know that I'll make another documentary because <laughs> yeah. um, it's so different. Um, I consider myself a screenwriter primarily who directs sometimes. And I don't know how, but I got roped into producing. So <laughs> um, I'm, I guess I'm a screenwriter who occasionally produces and less occasionally directs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, you know, screenwriting is for me, it's where I started a- in this business. And it's, you know, it's still kind of my first love. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're living here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, which is notoriously difficult to do when you're a screenwriter. Yep. Because with all the jobs that are here in Atlanta that are just streaming in here, the ones that are not really is the writing business. So yeah. how, how, how are you making so much tons of money? <laughs> tons of money. <laughs> how are you paying your bill, your bills, bills, bills? Oh, what is that about? your bills uh, as a screenwriter in Atlanta? Um, I write, I take a lot of writing assignments and sometimes the writing assignments are from LA. Sometimes they're from here in Atlanta, Yeah, but they're all independent films. So I am not rolling in the money by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And I have, you know, let's see, 2008, my wife, Julia, whom I love more than anything in this world, came to me and she said, Michael, you are a total asshole to live with. Please quit your day job and just make movies. That's what you want to do. Just make movies because I don't want to live with you because you're an asshole. And I went, okay, um, thank you for that. And so we did the math and I had some savings and I said, okay, if, if I'm not able to keep my head above water in five years, I'll consider it a good, I gave it the good old college try and I'll quit. And, um, you know, five years came and went and I was just at the point where it was like, (laughs) should I quit or should I keep going? And she went, ah, keep going. And so I said, okay. Um, because I love this business. Mm -hmm. I just, I love it. 
And I'm, I'm not qualified to do anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. I have a degree in computer animation, for Christ's sake. What am I going to do with that? Right. Nothing. I'm going to be a screenwriter with that. That's what I'm going to do. So, um, so I consider myself a screenwriter first, and I get a lot of, of writing assignments for independent films. And do you have an agent? I do not. I find... I find the work or the work finds me. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the, what helps making movies. Mm-hmm. Making movies and people see, you know, um, what you can do and they go, Hey, you know, I like that movie and I have a movie that's similar or something. Maybe I should hire this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's saying he's not a quitter, Chuck. <laughs> that's what he's saying. <laughs> I'm yeah, not a quitter. I'm kind of going through the same thing where, I mean, I'm, I'm just like you. I don't, I don't care about anything working on anything else. I'm a screenwriter, right. and this, I mean, I write short stories and stuff too. And sure, I could see myself doing that too. But as far as like going to an office every day, just kill me. Yep. Um. So yeah, I mean, I lost my, I got my, my firm, my social media firm that I was working at closed about a year ago. Actually, now oh. I I just got the call into the office. <laughs> um. That uh, and funny story about that. On my way home. No shit. I was behind a funeral procession down the interstate the entire way after I just got like, oh, you're fired. Oh, I'm going to go home behind this funeral procession. <laughs> it was literally out of a movie. Yeah, I was going to say, ridiculous. that's a great scene. I'm yeah. going to write that down. No, yeah. no, <laughs> it. Uh, no I mean, it's true story. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I'm going through the same thing where I'm, I mean, considering moving out to LA or, or what, because I'm not finding enough money, you know. Yeah. Here, and so it's just real difficult because it's just the one thing that's not, re- well, maybe, maybe directors, like if you everything like, oh, above the line. studio thing, you gotta go out there too. Everything above the line is still in LA. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah everything yeah. above the line is still in LA. And I've got friends in LA who, you know, um, it was funny, I had a friend over Facebook, she private messaged me a couple of months ago and she was like, why are you still working on those stupid independent movies? <laughs> And I'm like, what do you mean stupid independent movies? She lives in L.A. and she's like, I'm only writing television. I'm only writing pilots now. And that's what you need to do because you need to write a pilot and then you can move out to L.A. And blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, that sounds terrible. I mean, I would love to write a pilot. And, and you know, five years ago, well, more than five years ago, 2008, when I quit my job, I, you know, I sat down with my wife and I said, okay, here's our five-year plan. And... Part of that was, and then we moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. Because that's where you go if you want to be in this business. And then, like, literally overnight, <laughs> I had friends moving from L.A. to yeah. Atlanta. <laughs> and so we we looked at each other and went, okay, maybe we don't move to L.A. Um, right now. Um, and what's true is, yes, if you want to make a living and you want to um, work only as a screenwriter, you got to be in L.A. Mm-hmm. You have to be in L.A. You have to. People who say, well, the studios that they're building here in Atlanta, no, no, fuck you. I'm <laughs> sorry. You can bleep that if you want to, but fuck you. You're a moron. No. All of the decisions for all of the big movies, Yeah, yeah. everybody lives in L.A. Right. All of those decisions are going to be made in L.A. until they run out of water in five years, <laughs> and then they're going to be made in Atlanta. <laughs> um, so so that's part of the reason that I, that I became kind of f- agreed to fall into and be pushed into being a producer, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. now I can produce here. There are a lot of producers here. 
Yeah. And if I live in the independent world, I might not make a lot of money, but at least I can make the movies I want to make. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still write specs and send them to L.A. and keep my fingers crossed and, and go, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, what's true is I've been doing this since 2008, and only once between 2008 and now have I had to take a day job. Yeah. You know, and part of that is because my wife is a wonderful woman, and she doesn't kick me out of the house, <laughs> yeah. and we don't co-mingle our finances. Mm-hmm. You know, I pay for myself, and she pays for herself, and we do what we can, and, you know, sometimes I just go, okay, I guess I'm not going to get a new car this year or mm-hmm. a new pair of underwear or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no. You I just know. do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I have I have people come to me a lot and go, I'm thinking about getting into this business. And I go, don't. I know. Run away. Don't do it. I said, And I tell them, I looked them in the eye and I say, if there is anything else in the world that you can do yeah, yeah. and be happy, go do that instead. Because... This is not, right. you know, but man, I love it. I must be just brain damaged or something. I don't know what <laughs> happened, but it's like. Yeah, I think you have to be a little. In everybody's everybody. got to be a little crazy yeah, in this yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I mean, yeah, just being on set's fun because you get, you get free food and stuff. It's awesome. That's my favorite part. I, I, when we were shooting our pilot at Pepper's Place, I was, uh, I got to eat, um, Rice Krispie treats, which is my favorite thing. Oh. Just, they were just everywhere. We got, gl- we always had gluten free food for you. That's true. Yeah, they got special it had, food. It had your name on it. And it did. That's right. Nice. I was, I was kind of pampered on that. It was that, very nice. That's You're sweet. the writer. And then, and then uh, the real world came back, and then that was yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I get it. And you know, part of it too. I actually had this conversation today with Chris Etheridge. Um, I've written. I've been paid to write a lot of different things. And I'm going to stop doing that. And that scares me mm-hmm. because I've been paid to write a superhero, a broad superhero comedy, um, a mob drama, a psychological thriller, which is very much in my wheelhouse. And I, that's where I, I live. That's mm-hmm. where I feel, I feel at home. The thriller genre with horror elements or action elements, either way. Um, and then the one that I, the, the writing assignment I just turned in was a coming of age story about a, a musician. And I feel like I'm a little bit all over the map. And, you know, sometimes you have to be because that's what is keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, um, there's also that kind of that feeling that, okay, maybe it's time to focus a little bit more and, it's going to be hard not taking those jobs. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard when I retired from ADing, but I made the decision. I said, okay, I'm not going to be an AD anymore because I'll always be an AD. Mm-hmm. If I do, if I continue to do this, I'm always going to be an AD and I don't want to do that. Um, and part of that is because I don't think I could survive it. <laughs> Too much stress. Um, so, you know, it's just. And if you talk to a hundred different people in this business, you, you'll hear a hundred different stories of how they got here and what their career path is. Mm-hmm. Nobody's done the exact same thing. Which is a beautiful thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because I've never taken the, the normal path to anything in my entire life. So right. thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the easy path is overrated. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, my, my uh, co-writer was talking to a producer who's in town right now. Um, 
about a project, and he he was saying uh, around the time that he decided to get away from, he was working as a cinematographer, and he was he was taking all these big jobs, and he I think he went through the same thing. We're like, this is all I'm going to be able to do. Right. So he said, I'm going to be a director now. I'm going to direct films. And as soon as he, <laughs> it was in the mid '90s, and he got offers for like I think he said like Titanic. Mm. And all these, all yeah. these, I mean, I think Forrest Gump right. came in and he was like, no, right. I'm a, I'm a director. And Steven Spielberg is knocking on your door. Hey, come, come do my film. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be a director now. Yeah. I, mean, this, I literally <laughs> went through the same thing, not to that degree by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but once I made the decision, you know, and part of the reason I made the decision was I, the AD work was becoming more sporadic. Uh, they were, the projects were bigger, but they were, you know, a little more sporadic. And so I went, okay, maybe now, maybe now is the time to stop. And so I, I made the decision, I'm going to stop ADing. And then the phone started ringing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I turned down, uh, I had to turn down four really good first AD, uh, jobs on decent independent features before the word got around. And then my phone just stopped ringing. Uh, <laughs> although I did have a couple of people go, we can get you to come back. And I was like, no, I don't think that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. I don't think, no, <laughs> hell no, not now. No. Um, maybe Spielberg, maybe, maybe. but I doubt it. That <laughs> the stress on that would kill me. I would step on the set the first day and I would go, I can't feel my left arm. And then I would just fall out and be dead. But what a way to go. Right. <laughs> I think that actually happens a lot. I think ADs, first ADs have really yep. low mortality rate or high, high mortality <laughs> rates because they, uh, yeah, it's just stress twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Yep, and then they die. Yep, and then that's the end of their job. <laughs> exactly, and they were the first AD, so nobody knows their name. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny when we were when we were shooting Morningside, we were in we were locked in a room with Rob Pralgo and the entire crew, and we were all jam packed and everything. And Pralgo looks around and he's watching the the first AC talk to the DP and he's watching the the sound assistant talk to the sound person, you know, and he looks around and he goes, you know, everybody in this room is trying to get to the next rung. Everybody's trying to get somebody else's job. And then he points to me and he goes, except you. Nobody wants your job. <laughs> and I was like, Rob, I don't want my job, but, you know. <laughs> But yeah, for several years I've always made sure to go up um, and at least shake the first AD's hand because I know nobody's paying attention to you. You've done everything today. Um, I just wanted to thank you. for Everything's being here. your fault, but you have no control over anything. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, you know, first day when I was a, when I was a first AD, first day I said, okay, I'm Michael Harper. I'm the first AD. I'm not your friend. If you are not pissed off at me at least once during this shoot, I am not doing my job. After we're done, we're going to be the best friends ever. First round's on me. <laughs> but until then, do your job. Mm-hmm. Don't piss me off. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you know, I have a lot of people, a lot of people who, like, I respect you. I don't like you, but I respect <laughs> you. And that's fine. As long as they do their job, it's fine. Well, yeah. So, yeah, we're almost out of time. Ah. Uh uh, tell everyone where to find all your films, especially the uh, DVDs coming out November 3rd, you said. Yes. Um, um, yeah, tell everybody where to find online and all that stuff. All right. Excellent. Uh, let's start with um, Three Minute Activists, The Soul of Slam. 
we are on Facebook. Please become a fan on Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash three minute activists. Uh, we are at uh, www.3minuteactivist.com. That will be where DVDs go on sale November 3rd. We are also going to be available on iTunes and Amazon Instant Play November 3rd. Um, so please check out that film. Uh, it is near and dear to my heart. Uh, also, Attack with the Morningside Monster, uh, it's been out for a while. It's available on DVD and iTunes and Amazon. Hulu, it was on Hulu for a while. It might still be available on Hulu. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. So, um, and that's, um, Morningside, I want to say Morningside hyphen monster, uh, dot com. That's probably wrong, but you can Google. You can find us on Google. Yeah. Uh, my Twitter, my personal Twitter is at Michael2H. <laughs> um, you can also find me on Facebook, um, at facebook.com slash Michael2H. Um, and I guess that's about it. Well, thanks so, for coming on. Um, oh, we, we should probably give Chris Brenneman a shout out uh, on, uh, on the air because he'll love that. And we almost made it through the entire mm-hmm. podcast without mentioning Chris Brenneman. Well, this way he'll he'll promote it if he can hear his name. I'm sure. Oh, that's true. Chris Brenneman. Chris Brenneman. Chris <laughs> Brenneman. He's going to show up now. I've said his name three times oh, in a row. No, watch out. Yeah. No. Th- yes. Thank you to Chris Brenneman for for setting this up. Yeah. And thank you guys um, for having me. I have totally enjoyed this. Great. I'm glad it wasn't terrible. Not near as bad as you thought it was going to be. Oh, I I had complete and total confidence in both <laughs> of you. I listened to this podcast. You've had you've had a lot of my friends on. We we figured out that we're friends with a lot of the same yep. people, and we've probably been in the same room yep. before together. But um, just but never. we're all so good at the networking thing. And <laughs> yeah, I went to an event. I actually went I out to, and it was an actors' event, and I was the only non-actor there. But I mean, I was talking to people. It was amazing. Wow. I got my headshots done. Nice. <laughs> Professional headshots nice. done. No, you didn't. I for real did. It was, it was in the packet because they were, they were promoting or they were sponsoring the podcast for a little bit. And they said, come on out. And I was like, you know what? I will. Good and then for you. They said, you want some free headshots? And I said, sure. Sure. <laughs> and then they're probably the worst headshots. Oh my in the God. World. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see that now. <laughs> I take the worst pictures in the world. So if you could, if the if the photographer can make me remotely human, then he is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I when I go to a networking event, I I alternate between looking at my watch and looking at the door and trying to to figure out, okay, <laughs> yeah. how much longer do I have to stay? <laughs> can I just start inching towards the door? I suck at the networking thing, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there was one actress, uh, who came over and started talking to me. So then through her, other people started coming up. Nice. So I, I appreciate Jennifer's shots. She had, she had a German last name. I can't remember. More German people, you know, so. More German I, people. I appreciate it. Jennifer, I can't remember your last name. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, you can find Atlanta Film Chat on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. <laughs> At ATL Film Chat, and I'm on Twitter at Fox Inc. F O X I N C. You can find me, Molly, at Darth underscore Molly and zombiecatprod.com. And you can find all our old episodes at cinemaatlmagazine.com. All right, thanks, everybody.